0: to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. I'm sure a lot of you guys
1: remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart & Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids with over six thousand captains and trips to choose from planning your next one just got a whole lot easier download the fishing booker app on the google play or app store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today From Mediator's World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Weekend Review presented by Steel. Steel products are available only at authorized dealers. For more, go to steeldealers.com. Now, here's your host, Ryan Cal Callahan.
0: A three judge appeals court working out of Sacramento, California, ruled at the end of May that bumblebees are, contrary to popular belief, actually fish. The Golden State has always been forward-thinking, but all the Fox News hosts out there can calm down. This ruling doesn't have anything to do with politics, at least not the kind you're thinking of. In 2018, environmentalist groups petitioned the state of California to list four subspecies of native bumblebees as endangered. These species include the western bumblebee, franklin's bumblebee, Suckley cuckoo bumblebee, and crotch's bumblebee. Now, if all four of those species were hybridized, they'd be called the Western Franklin Suckley's Cuckoo Crotch Bumblebee, which is pretty neat. And they'd sound something like this. Bzzz. Didn't expect that, did you? Anyway... A 2020 court ruling denied the petitions requesting these bees to be listed as endangered because the California Endangered Species Act, or CESA, makes no mention of insects or other terrestrial invertebrates. It protects birds, mammals, fish, amphibians, reptiles, and plants, but bumblebees fall under none of these categories. However... The CSA further defines fish as a wild fish, mollusk, crustacean, invertebrate, amphibian, or part, spawn, or ovum of any of those animals. The court ruled that since bumblebees are invertebrates, they qualify as fish and can therefore be protected. The judges acknowledged that, quote, The term fish is colloquially and commonly understood to refer to aquatic species, but the legislative history supports the liberal interpretation that the commission may list any invertebrate as an endangered or threatened species. So, there you go. Bees are now fish, and we had an article that mentioned California, Fox News, and didn't mention the word liberal until almost the very end. As of this recording, there's no word yet as to how actual fish feel about this ruling, but considering the state involved, we can expect some form of protest soon. This week, we've got poachers, regulations, and legislations, but first I'm going to tell you about my week. And yes, my week is sponsored by Steel Power Equipment. My friends at Steel and I have been working on a great big thank you to a lot of dads and families out there, but I can't fill you in on that yet. June is safety month, and this episode lands on Father's Day, which is very appropriate. So if you know any fathers out there, direct them to the uh, Steel social media accounts like uh, steel USA on Instagram, where they can get a bunch of safety tips. And if we're being honest, there is no better group out there that could use a little reminder of safety than dear old dad. You know what I mean. Do as I say, not as I do. Yes, old man. You got us to where we are today, but looking back at your operation as tax-paying adults, we honestly wonder at times if it were more luck than plan that got us through. All those times where good intention blurred the lines of good thinking. For instance, I don't know if you're aware right now of this lawsuit in Florida involving the family of a 14-year-old boy who is suing the manufacturer and operators of an amusement park and amusement park ride. The young man was out of compliance with the safety parameters of riders of the ride. In this instance, he was too big. You may recall, like, the last time you stood in line for one of those rides, there's, like, the goofy cartoon character, sometimes literally goofy, who says, you must be this tall to ride this ride. Well, anyway, this kid died. This 14-year-old kid died. And it reminded me of my own father looking at that sign saying, you must be this tall taking me aside, not to a ride that I could actually go on, but to remove my shoes and stuff them full of napkins in order to make me meet the height requirement for this roller coaster. And then, of course, that got me thinking to all the tipped-over canoes, severe lack of helmets, ear protection, eye protection, a really lax policy in regards to camping out in the woods unattended and being on the rivers unattended. All things, I kind of shake my head out now. But at the same time, I just can't thank you enough, Dad. Love you. Happy Father's Day. Don't burn yourself. And lastly, for my week, I would like to address several Ask Cal emails regarding lab-grown meat. First, let me talk about lab meat in general. Okay, we have meat substitutes that are grown or composed of materials not associated with animal products, and then we have these products that we discussed last week that are actually grown from real animal protein, both of which we've covered here on the Week in Review a bunch of times, and I want to clear up why I think this stuff is not that great, why I honestly kind of fear its proliferation it may just come down to space. The world's population and the appetite of that population is growing. So yeah, we need to think in ways that can feed this growing population and afford it space. But once again, we aren't willing to ask people to maximize their space. That's too unpopular. And we just do that through socioeconomics, right? If you're not rich, you can't afford more space. If you got less money, you got to get better at living on smaller amounts of ground or in vertical structures. Okay, we all got that. Well, in this case, in order to make sure that folks can have these ranchettes and postage stamps out there with some green space, we're asking agriculture to maximize its space. Get more efficient with less. Make more with less land. Grow meat in vertical vats so we don't intrude on the slivers of green, non-native grasses in our sprawling subdivisions. I argue that the open space that agriculture provides is the last frontier here in America. If we can assume some level of preservation of the idea of what is wild in our national parks... And I do mean idea of what is wild because, as you may have picked up by now, I don't really think that we're preserving wild in a national park setting. If we wanted to save the wild and save our open spaces, which have the ability to create both clean air and water, we need to make it known to everyone that open space is where food comes from. If food comes from a vat, not a green space, where the hell do we get oxygen? Very, very rarely does a house, condo, apartment go up, and then like a couple of decades later, that house, apartment, condo comes back down and becomes a forest or a pasture. We do value food, okay? We know how much food costs. What we need to do is know where it comes from and know that that land is valuable, both as open space and the place where our food comes from. We need to fight the hard fight right now and make agriculture better, not flip it on its head entirely, and do away with the farm. Painting a picture of a cow on a vat that produces something that we can call cow meat is not fixing the problem, it's ignoring the problem. You with me? This will be a continuing series. Next week, we can talk about tax incentives for folks who rip up their grass lawns in exchange for something edible and, you know, pollinator habitat. We can talk about tax hikes for those who want to maintain the Kentucky bluegrass and jail time for those folks who cut grass and send it to the landfill. I realize there may be nothing more yuppie than an HOA revolution, but with a bear market, record inflation, and hikes in the interest rates, there's no time like the present for some form of something positive.
1: Today, we celebrate our Independence Day.
0: Moving on to the poaching desk. You may remember from episode 135 when I told you about an Idaho man named Yan Bo Fong who pleaded guilty to illegally purchasing 24 bear paws, 11 bear gallbladders, 7 bobcats, 3 mount lions, and, you know, the list just keeps going on and it's much longer. Fong was sentenced earlier this month to 100 days in jail and $25,000 in fines. He will also lose his hunting, fishing, and trapping privileges for six years. In West By God, Virginia, eight West Virginia poachers are working their way through the criminal justice system. In January, those individuals were issued a whopping 223 poaching charges involving at least 27 antlered bucks. Earlier this month, One of those poachers, 24-year-old Colton Broadwater, struck a plea deal in which he exchanged jail time for 160 days of house arrest, which means he'll be able to leave his mom's house just in time for Christmas. The judge obviously didn't think about mama. He pleaded no contest to a host of wildlife violations and was ordered to pay a $33,000 replacement fee for the bucks he poached. 23 year old Tyler Biggs was a sheriff's deputy at the time of his violation, and he agreed to testify against his fellow defendants, one of whom is his father, and another of whom was his girlfriend. I'm assuming the past tense in this situation, considering the circumstances. In exchange for his testimony, he will also avoid jail time and be sentenced to house arrest, which begs the question does dad live at home? Happy Father's Day! I, you know, couldn't leave the house to get you anything. Oh, son, you've gotten me. Game violations. What more could a father ask for? If you want some background on this story, check out episode 146. Now, on to new cases. A Wisconsin crossbow hunter nearly died in January after he was gored by a wounded buck. He was airlifted to a nearby hospital and eventually recovered from blood loss, frostbite, and hypothermia But not long after he was released, wildlife officials slapped him with a $343 fine. Why? Because he shot that buck over bait, which has been illegal in that county since 2003. Karma can be, uh, antlered, I guess. Speaking of karma, two poachers in Missouri are facing numerous charges after hunting turkeys illegally on private property and then allegedly firing a shotgun at the landowner. The Missouri Department of Conservation reported that when the landowner confronted the man about hunting turkeys on his property, they fled on foot, and one of them fired a gun in his direction. When agents arrived on the scene, they tasked a canine agent named Whalen with cracking the case. Whalen matched a shotgun casing found at the scene to shells found in one of the poachers' hunting vests, and they were arrested on the spot. They've been charged with unlawful use of a weapon, hunting wildlife from private property without permission, taking turkeys without a permit, and illegal possession of wildlife. a boy, Whalen. I expect you'll have your own miniseries here soon. Good boy. Over in California, the San Francisco District Attorney's Office is suing a fisherman for $1 million. In what they're calling the most egregious case of unlawful crabbing activity in San Francisco's history, they must be excluding the Red Light District. A commercial fisherman named Tan Van Tran allegedly set traps in protected waters near the Farallon Islands. The Farallon Islands should sound familiar. It's one of the most sensitive and protected ecosystems in the world, and Van Tran allegedly trapped about 260 Dungeness crab in this area. Fish and Wildlife found 92 traps after an anonymous fisherman alerted them to Van Tran's activities. He admitted that the traps were his, but denied knowing he was fishing in a marine-protected area. Staying on the water, officers working for the Nebraska Game and Parks Commission busted two anglers for exceeding their bag limits of crappie by over 90 fish. Officers working at Standing Bear Lake cited one angler for possessing 104 fish and another for possessing 106 fish. The daily bag limit is 15. That's per person. In Michigan, 13 poachers were recently busted for taking spawning whitefish from the Menominee River. Department of Natural Resources Wardens from Michigan and Wisconsin started working the first case all the way back in 2019. They learned about organized groups of poachers illegally targeting whitefish by intentionally snagging them in the body or tail. They issued 29 citations to 13 poachers for exceeding the daily bag limit of whitefish, intentionally snagging fish, and failing to release foul hooked fish. When finally confronted about their activities, the poachers reportedly tried to hide the fish by burying them, throwing them in the bushes, and stowing them away in false floorboards in their cars. I'm no game warden, but I bet you wouldn't need to call Whalen the canine in from Missouri to sniff out that contraband. Hey, that's already the second episode of that dog show. This stuff writes itself, unfortunately. The poachers who hail from three different states won't be eligible to receive DNR licenses for a total of 24 years. Lastly, five Vermont men have been hit with 78 criminal charges for poaching 14 New Hampshire deer out of season during the fall of 2021. The division director for the state's Fish and Wildlife Department says it will take three or four years for the deer population in the county to recruit mature bucks to replace the ones that were taken two of the poachers have pleaded not guilty and will stand trial. The three others pleaded guilty and are paying fines totaling $4,600. Two of those three will also have to forfeit their crossbows. A lot of people think that getting life insurance means you're insuring yourself for yourself, but it's actually the exact opposite. It's insuring yourself for your family. So, if something happens to me and I'm not around anymore, I can have more peace of mind that my family can have some financial support. And that's where Fabric by Gerber Life comes in. More than once in my life, my journey, people have described me as an independent person. And that's how I want to stay even when I'm dead. That's how I want to be remembered. That's why I... Have life insurance. Fabric by Gerber Life is term life insurance you can get done right here, right now. You could be covered from your couch in under 10 minutes with no health exam required. If you've got kids, and especially if you're young and healthy, the time to lock in low rates is now. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meatfabric.com cal. That's meatfabric.com slash cal. M-E-E-T, fabric.com slash cow. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states, prices subject to underwriting and health questions. For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without on X. The hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt and find more birds this spring. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of uh, Maui Nui Venison. You've heard that name before because I've talked about them here on this podcast. They're on a mission to balance axis deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. Now, it's wild axis deer, which is an invasive species, but this operation is monitored and observed by the USDA, and they can commercially sell axis deer. Last time I went out to uh, Maui to hunt axis, I did not kill one, which is where Maui New Venison would come in. Very handy for folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful and still want to have something in the freezer or uh, handy in the form of a snack stick that is as close to getting your own as you can get, which is what Maui Nui Venison is. You can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis Deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I, venison.com, and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order. Moving on to the turkey desk. Big changes are coming to turkey hunting regulations in Tennessee, and other states could see the same before too long. On June 3rd, the Tennessee Fish and Wildlife Commission voted to delay the turkey season by two weeks, reduce the overall bag limit, ban fanning on state wildlife management areas and provide more opportunities for raccoon and other varmint hunters. Each of these new regulations, commissioners argued, is designed to slow the decline of the state's turkey population. Turkey numbers have been down in many states for several years, and now fish and game commissions are taking more drastic steps to address the issue. Here's Commissioner Hank Wright discussing the decision to delay the season.
1: I think we all sense the same thing. We're seeing fewer turkeys. Uh, We want to pull levers. Uh, We just want to pull levers and make it better. And um, I think we need to be careful about the actions we take. Um, And if we take them, we need to base them on science.
0: The season delay was unanimously approved by the commission. Some hunters at the meeting expressed strong opposition, but Roger Shields, the turkey program coordinator for the Tennessee Wildlife Resource Agency, argued that the long delay would help the birds breed and establish more nests. The greater number of nests are established right around the middle of April, but this year, the general turkey season began April 2nd. Biologists hope that moving the season back will reduce hunting pressure during those critical few weeks and keep more dominant breeding toms on the landscape longer. Shields admitted that he doesn't have much empirical evidence to back up the policy change, but turkey hunters will still have the same number of weeks to go after gobblers. The commission also voted to reduce the bag limit from three birds to two, and only one of those birds can be a jake. In addition, the commission voted to expand raccoon and opossum season and double the bag limit. They hope taking more of these predators off the landscape will make sure more poults survive through those dangerous first few months. Commissioners overwhelmingly supported these measures, but they disagreed about reaping. Reaping, or fanning, is when a turkey hunter uses a tail fan attached to a shotgun to trick turkeys into coming within range. Some commissioners argued that the practice, which is highly effective, has played a role in the declining turkey population. They also argue that it's dangerous, especially on public land where hunters may not know about other hunters in the area. Other commissioners held that opponents of the practice are making an emotional decision. Listen to Commissioner Bill Cox.
1: To me, there's no basis except for an emotional decision on this and some input from people that that feel like it is dangerous with no data to back that up. I don't particularly like government sticking their nose in my business when there's no justification for it.
0: Commissioner Cox ended up in the minority. Nine of the 12 commissioners voted in favor of banning reaping on state-owned public land, though the tactic can still be used on private land, which is where I have a personal beef, okay? You can't have legal hunting tactics on private land that are magically illegal and bad for the resource on public land. Anyway... These aren't the first regulation changes aimed at propping up turkey populations, and they certainly won't be the last. In Utah, the Wildlife Board just approved reducing the number of fall turkey permits and prohibiting all fall turkey hunting on public land. The board also voted to cap the number of permits for the northern and central regions in Utah at 25% of the number of permits sold in 2021. The spring season is still intact, but the board decided on these changes because hunters were taking more gobblers in the fall season than they expected. It's also worth pointing out that some states are loosening turkey hunting regs rather than restricting them. In South Dakota, the Game Fish and Parks Commission just issued a proposal to raise the number of fall tags issued from 100 to 500 in some areas and from 23 to 2,000 tags in others. The proposal would also expand the areas where fall turkey hunting is permitted. To add an interested third party here, we reached out to National Wild Turkey Federation. Turkeys have been one of North America's greatest conservation success stories, but a combination of disease, predators, development, weather, and yes, hunting, have combined to eat away at that success. Hunters like to brag about how instrumental they were in resurrecting North American turkeys, and they're right. Our community drove that conservation, and right now, it looks like it's time to step up to the plate again. Moving on to the legislation desk. In one of the biggest developments of the year so far, the U.S. House passed the Recovering America's Wildlife Act on a seemingly partisan 231 to 190 vote. The vote was unfortunately less bipartisan than we had hoped. Only 16 Republicans voted in favor, while 188 opposed after a debate emerged on the floor about how the legislation would be paid for. You can check out a detailed explanation of this bill in episode 120, but here's a quick rundown for you. The Recovering Americans Wildlife Act, also known as RAWA, would give the states a guaranteed $1.3 billion per year to help them recover threatened and endangered species. It's by far the biggest conservation bill since the Great American Outdoors Act, and it deserves our support. The next hurdle is the U.S. Senate, where 18 Democrats, 16 Republicans, and one Independent have pledged their support. We need to make sure our representatives know what we want to get this passed. Get on the phone with your U.S. Senator today and tell them you support S-2372, the Recovering America's Wildlife Act. I am confident we can clean up the bill, as in the tab, we'll need to do it in order to prevent critters from hitting the ESA list and costing us a lot more. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service announced earlier this month that it plans to open new hunting and fishing opportunities at 19 national wildlife refuges on approximately 54,000 acres nationwide. The move is part of the Biden administration's push to increase recreational access on public land and the proposed rule includes 110 distinct opportunities for hunting or fishing. Refuges in 15 different states from California to Virginia are set to offer new opportunities for white-tailed deer, turkeys, upland game, and feral hogs, just to name a few. Many of these will be open to hunting for the first time. The San Diego National Wildlife Refuge, for example, plans to open dove, quail, rabbit, and mule deer hunting. The Great Thicket National Wildlife Refuge in Maine and New York will open migratory bird, upland game, and big game hunting, and the Wallops Island National Wildlife Refuge will open hunting for migratory and upland game birds. None of these proposed changes have been finalized. To check out the full list for yourself and submit a comment, go to regulations.gov. Along the same lines, the Department of Interior also announced that it plans to distribute $279 million among all 50 states for outdoor recreation and conservation projects. That money is coming from the Land and Water Conservation Fund, or LWCF, which was fully funded by the Great American Outdoors Act. The Great American Outdoors Act was passed in 2020, thanks in no small part to folks like you, who called and emailed your representatives, thank you so much, just remember your job's not over yet. The amount of money each state receives is calculated using a population-based formula, so large states like California and Texas are getting over $15 million, while states like Wyoming, Rhode Island, and North Dakota are all getting about $2 million. States will use the money to expand outdoor recreation opportunities and fund conservation projects, and I encourage you to be involved in that process. This is your money going towards your public lands. Get involved in your state and help make sure these stacks of cash are well spent. Now, it's not all sunshine, rainbows, and public land funding in Washington. Last year, Wyoming Senator John Barrasso introduced a bill that would diminish protections on tens of thousands of public acres in Wyoming. That bill just got a hearing in the Senate Committee on Energy and Natural Resources, which could mean it's starting to gain traction. Wyoming has more than 758,000 wilderness study area acres. These acres are federally managed and allow hunting and recreation, but they don't allow extractive activities like drilling and mining. Many of these acres were designated in the 1980s and 90s, and they were meant to be temporary, but it's been 30 years, and Senator Barrasso thinks it's time to open them up. His bill, the Wyoming Public Lands Initiative Act, would create five permanent wilderness areas totaling 20,381 acres. It would release 99,750 protected areas for multiple uses like logging and oil and gas development. And it would create three special management areas covering 27,711 acres. These three areas would be protected against major development but wouldn't have the same level of protection as wilderness areas. In other words, for those without a calculator handy, the bill would protect about 47,000 acres and open up nearly 100,000. If you'd like to weigh in here, get in touch with your U.S. Senators and tell them what you think about Senate Bill 1750, the Wyoming Public Lands Initiative Act of 2021. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service is set to undertake a comprehensive study to determine whether bison in Yellowstone National Park should be protected under the Endangered Species Act. The service is seeking comments from the public that might influence that study. A federal judge also ordered the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service to undertake an 18-month study to determine whether to list wolverines as needing protection under the ESA. Environmentalists have been requesting the listing as far back as the year 2000, but the Fish and Wildlife Service rejected the petitions because the Wolverine population appears to be expanding, not contracting. Now, they'll have to take a closer look. In Delaware, legislators are considering a bill that would ban the possession or use of firearms or air rifles larger than 17 caliber for anyone under the age of 21. Hunters under the age limit who want to use a rifle, pistol, or air gun must be accompanied by someone over the age of 21. In other words, if you're a 20-year-old who wants to hunt with a bolt-action rifle in Delaware, you'll need to be accompanied by someone who can also legally purchase a post-hunt beer. The bill makes an exception for shotguns, muzzleloaders, and bows, but it doesn't appear to make an exception for people under age 21 shooting a firearm at a range even under adult supervision. If you live in Delaware, get on the phone with your state rep and tell them how you feel about House Bill 451. In Vermont, the state legislature has passed a bill directing the state's Commission of Fish and Wildlife to take a closer look at trapping regulations in the state. On or before January 15, 2023, the commission is to submit a report that will, quote, recommend best management practices for trapping that propose criteria and equipment designed to modernize trapping and improve the welfare of animals subject to trapping programs. If you can't read between the lines on that one, the bill elaborates a little further down. Among other things, the commission is required to recommend trapping devices that are more humane than currently authorized devices and are designed to minimize injury to a captured animal. They'll also be making recommendations that change the regs on trapping techniques and trap locations. If you live in Vermont, there's a great opportunity here to influence this process. The commission won't be handing down its recommendations for another six months, so look up your commissioners and let them know what you think. Finally, over at the fish desk, and I'm not talking bumblebees, a new study from a team of French researchers has proven empirically that ugly fish need more help than beautiful fish. Researchers asked 13,000 members of the public to rate the aesthetic attractiveness of 481 photographs of ray-finned reef fish. They took that data and plugged it into an AI system that generated predictions for an additional 4,400 photographs featuring 2,417 of the most encountered reef fish species. The fish that were considered beautiful usually had bright color patterns and rounded bodies. These fish, you won't be surprised to hear, were less likely to be labeled as threatened by the International Union for the Conservation of Nature. Ugly fish, on the other hand, were on average more likely to be threatened. Here's a quote for you. Our study highlights likely important mismatches between potential public support for conservation and the species most in need of this support. This, of course, is not just a problem among reef fish. Any conservation group will tell you, to solicit donations, large mammals with cute babies get the cash. Sometimes referred to as charismatic megafauna, animals might include lions, tigers, gorillas, giant pandas, elephants, dolphins, whales, otters. All of these tug at people's heartstrings and have them reaching for their wallets. Humans identify with these mammals for lots of reasons, but they often have nothing to do with sound science. But what we need to keep in mind is the species that we seem to like the most rely on the less charismatic critters to keep them up on top of the food chain. That's why bills like the Recovering America's Wildlife Act are so important. This legislation provides funding for state agencies to preserve the species that most people don't care about, but that are critical to a healthy ecosystem. It would be great if we could convince everyone to care about the ugly fish, but that's not likely to happen. We can convince our elected officials, however, to fund science-based conservation efforts, which is why you should call your U.S. reps today about supporting H.R. 2773. While you do that, keep in mind that ugly fish are very tasty fish. That's all I've got for you this week. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to write in to A-S-K-C-A-L. That's askcal at themeateater.com and let me know what's going on in your neck of the woods. I want to hear it. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you next week. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more.